Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places. Imagine yourself in a mastermind meeting or sitting with somebody in a cafe, the places where you have those aha moments and those revelations that can transform and change your trajectory, or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. As I come to you sitting on my purple couch in my sumptuous apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America, we're going to have a conversation today about something that's very passionate in terms of my intersections, which is the whole idea of change management. In addition to my work in podcasting, I have a client who's in the change management industry, so I see a lot of the trends and a lot of things that are happening in a very vibrant, fast-moving practice and profession. So I love things like looking at resilience, agility, or as it's called, agile, So I know a thing or two about it, and I also know about its tie-ins to project management, human resource management, and the whole idea of transformational change, coaching through change. I could go on and on with the buzzwords and the captions. What we're going to cover today are six tips for leading change, where the end is the beginning. And to guide us through that is somebody I've been looking forward to having on the show for quite a while, and he is one heck of a get, so lean in for this one. His name is Jeff Skipper. He's an international change leadership consultant for organizations in energy, finance, technology, and other industries. For over 25 years, beginning with a 12-year stint at IBM, he has guided change projects by focusing on the people side of change. As CEO, he grew a transformation services company to seven figures in just five years. On the personal side, Jeff and his family live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and his new book is called Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change Through Global Transformation. And with that, Jeff Skipper, come on in. The weather's fine. Adam, pleased to be here. All right, so I read off the official version of your bio, which is so impressive that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. (laughs) So we like to do here, before we get into, and you gave me a lot of great points in the green room, and we're going to cover most of these, possibly even some of them in order, because I love your presentation so much. Uh, But before we do that, I'd like to pull back the curtain. We have the official bio. We have the press release version. But let's hear a bit about Jeff the Man. Tell us something about your journey that has helped bring you to where you are today, in your own words serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Well, 
I've been burned out before, and I bet a number of your audience members can say the same thing. Uh, me too. Go on. Yeah, yeah. So we hit these stages in our career when oh, I, I think I've overdone it. I've just overextended. I've, I work hard, but I've worked too hard, and you're completely out of gas. And I found in those moments where you're forced to stop, you're forced to take stock and really reflect on who you are what you've done and what's going to energize you going forward. Cause, cause at the end of this moment, you have no energy. Right. And there, they are pivotal moments because you are faced with the reality of, if you don't do something different, life is not going to get any better. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say, as I said to many people, I've had the fortune of recreating myself multiple times in my career. And so it, it, it's funny, only on, only during those reflections, I realized, yes, I've, I've done a lot of work in this area of leading change, but man, I've endured a lot and taken a hold of a lot myself. I've, I've been subject to a lot of change and I've had to take hold of many change opportunities to either navigate a rough spot or move to the next level. And man, that has been exciting. So product of burnout, but pleased to be one. I tell people all the time that I went through a three-year period in my life where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And this actually came on right at a point where my business was more successful than it had ever been. Mm. It was near the end of 2016. I had just closed the two biggest deals of my entire journey in business up until that point by a country mile. But when I looked at, and I, and I had clients that I've been working with, some for 10 years at that point, yeah. and I loved the clients and I loved the work that I was doing with them. But when I looked into the future, all I saw was a blank screen. I didn't know really what business I wanted to be in in the long run. So I had no real website or offer to make. What kept me going for the three years, three years I found myself in this position, was hosting this show, the Business Creators Radio Show, which gave me 52 new connections with great people, some of which became clients, a few of which I became their client made a lot of great friends, some connections that have endured and prospered to this day. And also 52 fresh pieces of content to share with that of my audience that hung with me throughout that very dark period. So imagine having a burnout for almost three years where the thing that kept you going was hosting a podcast. And at the end of that three years, finding out that the answer was podcasting itself. I went into the business of launching podcasts. Uh, but Adam, I'm going to correct you in a nice way. I would Please say do. it wasn't it wasn't the podcasting. It was the fact that you were building new relationships. The podcast is an extension into people's lives. And we find that having that and the opportunity to create meaning out of benefiting others. And in so doing, learning new things ourselves and growing, that's what makes life worth living. I find it's so energizing when we're able to have that positive influence on others lives and you're doing that through a podcast you're absolutely right about that so we're looking at the tool versus the goal as i like to say mm -hmm. um so let's get into some of the things that you want to share with us because you gave us a lot of points so i'm going to start by kind of going in the order you gave them to me and we may move around depending on how this flows but let's uh since we're focusing a lot on people here and we're talking about transformational change and change initiatives, change leadership. What have you found so far is one of the most critical interventions that 
needs to be made when it comes to periods of change. You know, we were just talking about with podcasts and the, the fact that we really need to engage with people. I can't tell you the number of times I've had business leaders say, I have this idea and they're excited. They're ready to move. And because they're excited, they make an assumption that everyone else will be excited. So they've got a plan. They're starting to execute and they look behind them and realize, oh, people aren't following me. I don't really have everyone on board. Um, and so there's that recognition that yeah, I've got to do something different and I need to back up the bus a little bit and start connecting with people. So the, you know, it is the main premise of that book that there actually is transformational opportunities around, uh, around us all the time. Um, and sometimes they're forced upon us. But unless we're making personal connections with people and helping them to get on board, get on the bus, get excited about where we're going, they won't necessarily do that. It's not a case of build it and they will come. We really have to engage with people directly to, to help get them energized around change because too many see it as, oh, it's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. And that might be true. But when we make that personal connection with individuals, whether they're uh, peers or volunteers or employees, we then have the opportunity to motivate them, engage them and get them committed to moving in this new direction. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, all change can be scary, even good change. And it's simply because it deals with unknowns. And right. there's always the question of, well, what if it doesn't work the way I intended? Mm -hmm. What if what if something comes up that we weren't expecting? So and sometimes what that ends up looking like is leaders going back on their commitments so anything that deviates from the original promise or the original commitment looks like going back or flip-flopping. So but sure. really it might be scope change, uh, right. some changes in dates or priorities, or maybe some other priority comes up and they're not able to move forward with the change initiative at all due to reasons unforeseen. Now, to me, that for some folks can lead to a question of trust, like Jeff promised me that we would and then, oh, now we're not doing it? Or they said they would have this done by October 5th, and now they're saying it might not be till Christmas? Which is why credibility is such a critical factor when it comes to, to leading change. So when we're when it comes to the next one, and, and Jeff let you down, are you as motivated to say, okay, yeah, we'll pursue this next project you've got in the books? No, now we're trying to drag people along. So- it's important to deliver on our promises, but it's not always possible. So there are realities that get in the way. Um, let me give you an example of this being done right, though. Um, so I, I was working with an executive. They had a large project going to roll out. Let's just say brand new finance system. I've been part of lots of those pro programs. Say, this is what we're doing. We're going to rip out this existing system, which you've all you know, really tired of it has been updated in many, many years. We're going to come back with something that's that's really flexible, that's going to meet our specific needs, blah, blah, blah. But what they also did was to say, now, this is a long journey. This is a significant project. We're going to, not going to have it done in 30 days. It's probably going to take us a year and a half, maybe two years to really finish putting this into place. And I expect the scope may shift along the way. We're going to do our best to understand what you need and implement it, but recognize that speaking today, not everything will be within our control. 
We'll do our best. We are aiming for success, but anticipate there may be some shifts along the way. And that's a brilliant strategy because um, I love that quote that says, you know, uh, no plan survives first contract contact. And it's a statement coming mm-hmm. out of, you know, battles. Uh, yeah. you know, when that engagement begins, we have to shift. We have to be flexible because there are those scope changes. The things don't go exactly as we expect. Yeah. I, I can't remember which, who it was. I don't know. It might've been Eisenhower or Patton or Churchill or someone like that, but I think it was somebody within that group that said, and I'm paraphrasing, um, all the battle plans we make matter up until the moment where the first soldier fires the first shot. Then everything changes. Bingo. Yeah. And uh, and what I like about your formula is you're actually building in to the upfront promise is that things could change. You're actually promising to me that there's a likelihood that if you tell us it's going to be done by October 5th, that there's a good chance it won't. And this is so, really uncomfortable. So, so, so we don't hit it on October 5th or when 60 days turns into a year and a half. Hey, I remember Jeff said up front that uh, that what that October 5th wasn't a guaranteed thing. And in fact, right. there was a good likelihood things might shift. So now your credibility is preserved and I have reasons to continue believing in you so long as you continue to communicate with me as to what the evolutions are. That's right. And this is an uncomfortable approach for many leaders because they'll tell me, well, it sounds like you're planning for failure. I'm like, no, we absolutely are planning for success. We're targeting for success, but we understand the realities of risk. And you make that plain to people. And by doing that, you're increasing the resilience of the organization because then they do exactly what you just said of, hey, we're we're not exactly going the direction we originally anticipated but i remember the leader saying things could shift so i built in some resilience to my workforce so they understand you know there's got to be some flex in this plan because reality is stuff shifts all the time i mean i i'm doing strategic planning where i tell them no more than two years out in fact one year out would be wise because so many things are going to change during a one-year period so yeah we build in resilience from the beginning yeah, so anything you had planned in February 2020, how'd that work out? <laughs> Off the rails automatically. Yeah, you know, uh, when I, and part of the reason I told the story about my three-year journey through the wilderness, so to speak, mm-hmm. is if you look at the time frame, my discovery of podcasting itself as an avocation roughly co- coincided with the bug breaking out and society abruptly changing on a dime like that. So when this whole thing spread to Nevada and uh, they took away my, well, they took away my barber. So I tried shaving my head and found out I really enjoy how that feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took away my cigar shop. So I just ordered like 10 boxes. And, uh, and as far as that, uh, I just brought in a bunch of cigars, a lot of food and uh, cases of gourmet cat food for my princesses here. Uh, I say that because Alessandra sitting next to me. Uh, went on my balcony with my headset and my laptop, and I recorded what became the podcast reach system, which started as a video course and evolved into a complete done-for-you system. Mm-hmm. So I actually used the pivot to fuel something I'd wanted to do for a while. It's like, okay, so I have to be here? Oh, cool. So I can... so. 
I now have a permanent excuse to create all the time I need to make this happen. Nice. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting that when most folks think about change, their immediate reaction is negative. Oh, you're yeah. going to ask me to do something I don't want to do. Um, and a lot of people talk about the fact that when we're faced with change, it is kind of like a stressor and therefore it drives the fight or flight response. And they're not wrong. That does happen. But I, I have to correct them to say, but it's not only that. We, we can't say it's exclusive to stress, fight, and flight. Because so many people, just like you said, when faced with an inevitable change, I, I can't do anything about it, they adapt. They flourish. So we got fight, flight, flourish. Right? Those are the options yeah. you've got in front of us. And, and, and too often, we don't take the opportunity to remind people of how they have flourished in the past. So I'm so delighted to hear you say, and you can recount it so quickly of what you did during the pandemic to bounce and bounce forward. So I often during workshops, ask people to reflect and say, what did you do during the pandemic that you had never done before? And you know what I get? Crickets. They don't remember. And so I start prompting them. How many of you have kids and you had to learn how to homeschool? How many of you started baking new recipes and, and learn how to cook in a way you didn't before? I, I became a really good cook. Yeah. See? And my wife learned to play the UK ukulele from yeah. scratch using YouTube. So there are so many ways where if we take the time to reflect on it, we adapt very naturally. Our brains are quite good at it. It's why we notice the squirrel running along or the shiny object. We're paying attention to change in the environment so that, yes, we may need to take cover for protection, but also what if there's something out there I like that I want to pursue, that I want to take advantage of? So that's what we need to be reminding people of. We're, we're quite good. We're already quite resilient at adapting to change. Absolutely. So as far as resistance to change, I'm wondering if this has something to do with how human beings tend to be raised and conditioned during childhood. For example, for example uh, we're taught as kids that we, uh, we're often convinced encouraged, cajoled, or even browbeaten into making promises that we will or won't do something. And if we deviate from that, even one millimeter, we broke a promise, which is a bad thing that should be punished. You know, you know, I, I've never had the question phrased that way. I love it. I was working with an executive and I said, okay, in terms of this program that you want to roll out, what are your objectives? And I want you to make them measurable. This is very important because measurable means I can make it visible and I can demonstrate to people progress. And he refused. He would not come up with anything that was measurable. He just wanted to have, well, our goals are to reach the other side and hopefully get there intact. Like, yeah. It's no good. People can't get on board with that. But his point was, but I can't be held accountable for it. He didn't say it in those words, but he didn't want to be scrutinized. So to your point of, you know, sometimes folks are conditioned to say, hey, you know, don't don't be overly committed to something because folks are going to hold you to it. And if you don't hit it, you'll be punished. So I think some of that is a reality. I also see it within media. I, I started um, clipping headlines where you'd actually see right in the headline, change is hard or people don't like change. And so it's been communicated mm -hmm. very broadly that change tends to be a bad thing. And then also just the way our memories work, we, we have more vivid memories around vivid emotions. And those vivid emotions often include pain, 
um, or when we were hurt or angry. And those tend to be associated with things, uh, changes that were painful for us in the past. So when we, we say, hey, how are you at embracing change? Typically, people go to those negative times and say, no, I'm, I'm not good at it, or I don't like it, I avoid it because of those painful um, incidents and have to be reminded again of, but they're not the only incidents in your life. But I think to your point, yes, some people based on their, their upbringing um, are trained to resist. So that the next point I'd, I'd like to make is when we hear resistance or we feel that someone is not getting on board, instead of classifying resistance as a yes or no, treat it as a continuum. And on one end is, yes, the person who's dug in their heels, they're entrenched, there is no way that they are going to get on board. They don't like you, they don't like your project, they don't like anything that you do. Those people do exist. Yeah. But on the other end of what looks like resistance is the person who's confused. So maybe you sent out a me memo and said, okay, um, next month we're going to be switching over to this new form. When you bring on a new customer, make sure you fill this out. Yeah. And they're just, they, they didn't quite get it. Or maybe your communication wasn't that clear. They're not sure where to go. They're not sure who's going to support them if they have a question. And so they tend to freeze. They don't do anything. And that looks like resistance. And a manager might say, hey, come on, get with it. Get on board. We sent out the note. And, you know, they're ashamed, um, but the reality is they weren't sure. So resistance is a continuum. And we need to realize that some folks who look like they're resisting are, in fact, just needing more encouragement or direction. And they're going to get there. They just need that one additional step of help. I just had an aha moment that reminded me of something uh, that happened with me a long time ago. Uh, and this is when I was a wet behind the ears, didn't know nothing about nothing kind of guy. Uh, I was in college and I had my part time and summer job working in fast food. And I noticed that like all of a sudden this happened, this happened to uh, more or less coincide with an upper management change at the uh, at the corporate level that all of a sudden it seemed like. Those of us who worked on the service line in, in the restaurant we're constantly being told what we were doing wrong and constantly getting in trouble or yelled at or what have you for things that we had no idea about. And I looked at it and I began to make some connections. And I went to, and uh, when we had the latest assistant manager in training who uh, still were, were at the point where they knew everything about everything, uh, and they started off on this, I said, you know what? I had no idea that there had been that policy change. This was not communicated to me. In fact, you know what? I think that you managers have been deliberately not telling us about policy changes just so you can yell at us for doing things wrong. Right, right. Because that's really what it felt like. <laughs> and uh, do you know, you know what it turned out to be? They communicated it to the morning shift, uh, and it just simply didn't connect to them that there's not some grapevine where we all tell each other about things we hear about policy right. changes throughout the day. You right. have to reiterate that for every shift. And yeah. you may have to post a notice next to the position chart, or you may have to tell people a couple times, particularly if it is a change from an ingrained or habitual behavior that existed before. 
Yeah, in the uh, in, in the second chapter where I talk about stakeholders, that the whole point is it's it's so easy to miss something. So miss a shift, miss miss a group. I talk about you know what about the accounts payable department out in Estonia because we outsourced it there, and whoops, we missed them because they're out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, very easy to do until we take a a, a really structured approach to determining. All right. Who are all the people impacted? If we picture that pebble dropping into the pond and those ripples moving out, yeah, there's the folks who are immediately impacted. We think of right away, day shift, but then, hey, you know, these night shift people, they're important too. Oh, and you know, they they regularly correspond with these people. Oh, and then there's our vendors. And what about our customers? And what do they uh-huh. do? And so it's, yeah, you have to have a very structured approach to determining who needs to be who needs to have that clear messaging when and how, and not just sending it once, but multiple times, then checking in to ensure they got the message, um, all critical aspects of leading change. Yeah. Yeah. A, a recurring theme with me growing up was authority figure saying, I told you once, why didn't you listen the first time? <laughs> and, uh, and as I, as I developed fortitude and the ability to, assert my own boundaries and needs, I would say, well, I, gee, I guess it didn't take. So uh, pull out your camera and take another picture. Tell me again. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if, and, and I, and I took that sarcastic approach. If they started with the, I told you once, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you think? My whole world revolves around you. Come on. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I, and I bring some of this stuff up because these are some of the visceral feelings that people can have, particularly during areas of change or times of transformational change when things become confusing yeah and then you and then you have differences between projections for benchmarks and completion and sometimes things start to veer off track before the leaders of the change initiative know that it's happened yeah it's true that i mean i true. mean you i mean you having led change initiatives and been a facilitator of change, I imagine it's come up for you that uh, a few things were bubbling under the surface that surprised you that you hadn't found out. Did yeah, it ever happen? Uh, yep. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Cause I, yeah, it's really great. You brought that up. So I was working on one and we were rolling out, let's go a whole menu list of changes. And a lot of them were related to technology. Um, and in that list was something that was quite mundane. It involved, changing the numbering system for their project. So instead of a combination of numbers and letters, it would now just be sequential. The, the next project would be number one, followed by two, three, four, et cetera. So, yeah. easy. so in all these changes we rolled out, we're, we were actually communicating really, really well um, and started to hear some noise of like, people are not happy and there's some frustration. So then you start poking at it saying, well, we, we better understand that because you never know how that might spread and disrupt this whole project. So we went out and asked, what's going on? They said, well, you know this change you got here around this numbering system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the current way we number things, um, we assign letters and numbers that represent product code, cost center, yeah. I, I I get the idea. It looks like gibberish to the outside person, but to the internal person, they can take that segment, those combinations of letters and numbers, and they can map them directly to departments, initiatives, budgets, you yes. name it. Yes. And they do it 
in a flash. Like there's, yeah. it's almost like no time has passed. So I said, okay, so what you've done is taken a system where we can recognize that right away. Let's take invoice processing. Invoice comes in, quotes the, that project number. We know whether it's a match or not. We approve it, it's done. Now what you're saying is we get an invoice in, it quotes one of these sequential numbers, which has zero meaning. We have to go into the system, look up a record, and then review five different fields and make a determination. So what took us almost zero time now takes us, let's say, 30 seconds, multiplied by 200 invoices a month. And yeah, then, that's uh, that's 100 minutes. That's uh, over an hour and a half. Sure. And for, some, for some people, that's a whole workday statistically. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not kidding based on some of the studies of workplace behavior. That's right. Yeah. And, and they just kept escalating. And it, that was just one thing. Then it was, here's how this impacts our filing system. And, and on and on it went. And so like, holy crap, we had no idea. <laughs> so, oh, so we, oh, if I, if I, if I may, yeah. sometimes you see these things, they fall under, well, gee, I, I, I made it simple. You just count one, two, yeah. three. I was making it easy for you. What do you mean it's making it more difficult? You you had these 12 digit codes and I reduced it to one, two, three. Why aren't you thanking me? It's like, well, yeah, with the other code, we knew that these two digits mapped to the department, uh, this letter code mapped to this budget, um, this combination of characters led to this particular corner of the C-suite. We knew, with one with one glance, we knew exactly where to go to pull the data. And now right. we got to do this manually. And, and beside with your one, two, three, now we got to figure out which budget, which department, which initiative, which project. So let's go back to where we started with, yeah. okay, here's this leader excited. I got this change. It's awesome. It's going to be beneficial. Exactly like you just expressed it. And they can't understand why people are not getting on board until you start having those conversations. So we said building those relationships one-on-one -on -one with people. What do you think about this change? Well, if it's a safe place, and that's not always the case, but if it's a safe place, now I might say to you, well, there are some concerns <laughs> and then and then off we go and we get into it. Now, you're going to love the end of the story because it's surprising. Yes. So we, we gather this input. And, and so all these negatives around why this change, which they've labeled the stupid numbering system, why this change is going to be a negative, net negative for, for mm -hmm. the organization. And we take all this and we bring it to the executive team and say, hey, here's the feedback. Um, and it's significant. And um, they debated. I wasn't part of that. But they came back and said, of course, Jeff, we need you to communicate this. And I, all right, fine. The answer is, we're not going to make the change. We're going to keep on this course. I, sorry, what they're saying is we are going to make the change. My apologies. We're going to stay the course and we're going to change this stupid numbering system. Um, and you can imagine how I felt about delivering that. But they added something really important. They said, we heard you. We read everything. We understand the pain this is going to generate. And here are the five things that we're going to do to try and ease the pain. So they reiterated the reasoning why they were going down this path. It actually was really important from a maintenance perspective. It, it had an impact on how they're able to support their systems. But um, these five things were, it's still going to be some net pain, but we're going to give you these things to lessen the pain. And when it came to actual rollout, flip the switch, we're now into the new environment, now using this new numbering system, the level of noise related to that issue was exactly zero. And I believe the reason was the clear indication that 
we heard you. The yeah. fact that people end up with a voice is a significant contributed buy-in. So even if I don't agree, at least hear me when I tell you that these are the reasons why I'm not in support. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so our, now my podcast is not specifically about change management, but this, but as I like to say, change management, you're, that's change management for everybody. And I take it one step further is yeah. everybody's in change management, whether they realize it or not. That's right. Agreed. Yeah. So you know what I, you know what I mean by that? So, uh, so for this audience here, this is a group that may have some curiosity about this and be looking for, well, how does this truly impact me? So part of this is I'd like to spend a little bit of time defining terms that I myself fully understand, mm -hmm. uh, but our listeners uh, could probably benefit for, from some bifurcation of, from a subject matter expert. So I'm familiar with um, what uh, corporate sponsors are. I'm familiar yeah. with what stakeholders are. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some subtle differences between those two terms, but both of them are critical for any initiative to succeed. So if you could tell us a bit about that and let's start at the basic level and work our way up. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about stakeholders. So um, I've been interested to see, there's been a real shift in the discussion in, in, in corporate space around who we're in the business to serve. And for many, many, many years, it was, we're here to improve uh, what we give to our shareholders, the people holding stock. And just in the past three years, I would say, we're seeing this shift to say our stakeholders, everyone that's involved with or impacted by our organization is a stakeholder. So when I'm talking about change, I want to know who are the people that have a stake in the change. It's not just those that are leading it. It's those that have to put it into practice. It's those that have to live with it day by day. It's those that are going to have to endure some of that transitional pain. And like that pebble in the pond, there's a ripple effect there. So even if I, I have my employees that are directly affected, it may go on down the line to even, you know, my customers are affected or the, the vendors, uh, our suppliers that we work with as well. They're all stakeholders in this change. And I identify them by saying, do they have to do something different? As a result of this change, are they going to have to pick up some new behavior or new way of thinking as a result of it? And those are my stakeholders. And then you brought up corporate sponsors. Sponsors, so, yes. Um, very critical role. So when it comes to a change, um, you and I were talking earlier about credibility. I want to know there's someone at the head of this change that, that we are happy to follow. And if I've done it right, that's my corporate sponsor. And it's also someone that not only has credibility, but also has some degree of power. They've got budget and they can make decisions about resources. The reason why that's important is because let's say we've got some resistance and a group within the organization or a group we work with is saying, listen, we, we don't support this because this is the negative impact it's going to have on us. And unless you change the way this rolls out, um, I think we're going to need more people to even get the job done. Mm -hmm. The corporate sponsor can make the types of decisions that says, says, all right, we're going to accommodate that with a change in scope, or we're going to accommodate it with some extra budgeting so you can get that extra FTE on board and, and support it. So, so those are two critical roles. So thanks for going back to terminology. It's important we understand those things. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, myself, I wasn't even thinking in terms of being a facilitator of change or leader of change. But uh, when I was in that job I had when I was in MBA school, one of my uh, one of my responsibilities after I got diagonally promoted uh, was I was the point of contact for single use contracts that a managed care organization used uh, between our organization and facilities that were out of network that our, that our members might have wandered into for mental health services. Mm -hmm. So these would be called non-participating provider contracts, essentially. And um, in order for me to initiate those, those contracts, I needed information from the people in care management who did the certifications and the authorizations. Now, before I took over the position, it was really chaotic and uh, people were using like five different paper forms there were like 10 different versions of this form floating around that all asked different questions and some of them were sending bullet points and emails and some of them were uh, uh, literally writing it on post-it notes and sticking it to my predecessor's monitor like right. uh okay <laughs> so i had the obvious answer create a microsoft word template have them save as, fill it out, store it on their hard drive, and zip it on over to me. So, uh, my my uh, the relevant uh, senior director associated with the department I was in was all in favor of this, and got the uh, and got the various heads of the different uh, chain uh, care management departments on board with this, so the different groups that did the different pre-certs depending on which product they were dealing with. And um, and so it came up that there was this one particular care manager who uh, said, oh, I'm not doing this, I'm doing paper. Now, this is where sponsorship comes in. I had the sponsor who was able to go to his supervisor and say, no, he's filling out the forms. And, uh, but imagine if I didn't have a sponsor who had that kind of clout, his resistance to moving to a simple Microsoft Word document that was emailed securely internally could have caused basically everybody who listened to him and everybody listened to everybody he listened to to say, well, to hell with Adam. We're going to do it the way we were doing it before. Who the hell does he think he is anyway over in network relations telling us what to do? Right. And, and it could have started on something just as silly as somebody uh, not being willing to make a slight change in modality because they didn't feel like it. But I had the sponsor that was able to say, this is for this is so that we can function more efficiently and get these contracts done faster so that you can put the final authorizations in so that our providers can get paid, which will cause fewer incidents for you in the future should our other members wander in out of network to these facilities. Yeah. But, yeah, imagine, well, but, but, but imagine if I had a sponsor who was uh, such a people pleaser, they would say, oh yeah, well, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. It would yeah. it, it, it would have turned me into the bad guy. That's right. It's it's interesting, you know, it, you, you hit upon a, an important aspect of when we're leading something new, what our audience wants to know first is what, what is it? What are you trying to tell me? What is it you need me to do? But right after that is why And you touched on that. Here's the reasoning. If I, 
you know, if I now speak directly to your audience, entrepreneurs, small business owners, yes. you're often trying to convince someone else to do something. You could be selling your product. You could be just uh, marketing your business. You're asking people to do something different, buy from you, buy from you instead of a competitor, um, say something positive about your business. This is all about influence. It is the same thing when I'm talking about leading change. We are trying to change people's minds, ways of thinking, or way of acting. And so the same applies. When you are marketing, when you are selling, you're talking about the what. What is important to your business? What are the types of outcomes you need for your business? And then why? Because that's going to create prosperity. That's going to save you money. And now I'm going to tell you how you can do that with what I'm bringing to the table. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what we do when we talk about leading change um, in organizations. It's the psychology of people and how do you take them from one point and get them moving in a different direction. One of the underpinnings of the entire science of influence and persuasion is getting people to feel like what you want them to do was their idea. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, whether we're looking at it from neurolinguistic programming or the art of the sales conversation, what have you. It's all the same thing as making it feel like it was actually their idea. So with one of my with one of my clients, um, he's a very artistic type of person, and he already knows who he is based on me having said that. And uh, I will sometimes propose things to him. He'll say, oh, there's no way. I'm never doing that. No, no. Right. And, and in fact, I, I instruct you to not bring this up again. And then lo and behold, three months later, he comes to me because he heard the idea from somewhere else. And he asked me, why aren't we doing this? Right. And so he and I have worked out as part of our interpersonal communication is I will say in an exaggerated voice, I'll say, well, gee, you know, I'm so glad you heard about that somewhere else because silly old me it, it never would have possibly fathomed to think of that on my own. So thank goodness that you ran across this while you were reading some social media post because it never occurred to me. And then we have a good laugh about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you made me think. So, so, that. so that was, so that was, so with me, so for him, yeah. uh, that's his, that's his ability that represents in his own way of communicating his ability to pivot his decision-making process. And from my perspective, it's my ability to, playfully say I told you so without using those words. So taking something that could be confrontational and turning into something playful and fun. Right. And and also me recognizing that uh, it's also a matter sometimes of timing and the message needing to find the person where they were. So when I proposed it to him three months ago, he wasn't at the place where he was ready for that. But fast forward, now he is. So me delivering the same message is going to have a different impact. You know, you, you made me think of the fact that um, as entrepreneurs, you, myself, because I operate my own business and, and then your listeners, yeah, um, we have so much that we want to offer. And in this point of timing about timing is so good because as entrepreneurs, we have great ideas and we want to tell the world. And so often we talk too much. We need to learn to shut up. Because when you're working with a client or you're trying to make a sale, if you unload the entire package at the beginning, they're overwhelmed. It's too much. Um, one of my pieces of, of guidance when I'm coaching executives that are, are leading change or they're mm -hmm. leading a business is give them a framework, like paint the boundaries of the picture, or give them the rough outline, 
and then help them to color in what's inside the frame. It's very similar to what you just said of, you know, if you give that advice and it could have been the right advice, it's the right solution, but they're not ready for it yet. Or the timing is not quite right. It doesn't work. And so I like bite-sized pieces. I like creating the frame and then giving the the other parties, again, whether I'm leading employees through change or I'm I'm selling to another business, help them fill in the blanks. Let them tell me about how this is going to work within their business. Yeah. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned resistance. And, yeah. um, and I've got uh, stories about this too. And it's kind of, it's almost, it's almost as constant as change. So there are different ways to deal with resistance. So if you could tell us in your experience a wrong way and a way that actually works. Well, um, the wrong way is easy. It's, um, it's when leaders also entrench themselves and say, this is the way it is, uh, get in line or get out. Now they have the right to do that. And that may end up being the right answer, but it can't start there. As leaders, we have to begin as coaches. And that's to say, first, help me understand what is your reasoning? So, you know, we've tried to be clear, but we recognize maybe we haven't explained this well. Maybe this doesn't line up with what you expect, or maybe what we thought was a positive you see as a negative. And I could tell you some stories around that where that's happened. Um, but first we have to get inside that other person's head and give them the opportunity to explain to us why they're taking the position that they are at. So it cannot be my way or the highway to start with, although it may end up with there. Um, now, on the other end of things, I want to tell you about the IKEA principle. This is something that I came up with. So yeah. uh, my my son brings home an IKEA desk. Dad, can you help me build this? Sure. So off we go. Now, um, the reality is if, if you look at an IKEA instruction manual, I think most everyone has seen them, even if not IKEA, any furniture instruction, often on the first page, it gives you the image of the final product. And if you look at that image, if you're like me, you say, if I only had that image, there is not a chance I could build it and it would look like that in the end. Not a chance. And when people look at change or something big you're asking them to do, I don't see how they're going to get that done. Well, what does IKEA do about it? They say, don't worry about the, the, the final product. I want you to do step one. And what is step one? I want you to find this board and these two screws and insert the screws in the board. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And then step two, add two more boards, two more screws. I can do that. Three, four, five. And by step 275, <laughs> yeah, you have a desk. But what's the point here? Uh, sometimes the vision that we're trying to sell is overwhelming to the audience and you get resistance. You get blank stares. They're not moving. They're scared or they just, I don't see how we can be successful. And so I sometimes have to say, and this is antithetical to many people, I sometimes have to say, forget about the end vision for the moment, okay? Can you do this one step for me? Yeah, okay. And in, in corporate space, it might be, be, just look at this instruction manual, page one for a moment, okay? Just get familiar with that and then we'll come back, we'll revisit it. Or I want you to try this, this new step. Um, before you approach a customer with this new script, Let's do it together. Let's just rehearse it once. So there's often these um, steps along the way that we can do together or have the person do and be successful. And I start stacking success. 
And that's the IKEA principle is start with something small, step one, and start building on it until you get to that final product and say, wow, I can't believe I did that. Because looking at the first picture, there was not a hope. Yeah, I about six months ago, I bought a, a new desk for my apartment and it was that same thing. It didn't have 275 steps, but it had like 40 steps. And a step 32, the instructions turned out to be confusing to me. And mm -hmm. I almost and I almost ended up ruining the whole thing because I didn't put a bolt in a certain place before I did something else. And then the bolt itself got stripped. So fortunately, I remembered a little trick I was taught when I was growing up on how to yank that bolt out of there and get another bolt in. And fortunately, they threw in a few spares. But yeah, yeah it's good. the same type of thing where not only if you take it step by step, you gradually bring it to life without it being overwhelming, but you can also build in some fail safes where if you go a few steps down the line, you realize you missed a step or did a step incorrectly, you can always rewind. I, I want to build on that. That's, that is an excellent point you brought up. If you look at an Ikea manual on the first or second page, it'll also show a little picture of a person holding a phone and the end of the phone is connected to a sign that says Ikea. And so they're saying, you know, if you need help, call this number. But what they're also communicating is that failure may happen. And you remember, I gave that example of the leader at the outset saying the scope may change. This is another variant on that. When we're coming up to a natural transition or even when customer buys my product and I know that, you know, they're, it's going to take them some time to master it or put it into practice. I need to make it acceptable that failure could happen. That's okay. So that when a failure does happen, they're not beating themselves up going, I'm such an idiot. I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. I need to make it safe for them to say, you know, pick up that nut, that phone, call 1-800, call Jeff and say, I think I made a mistake. I need help. No problem. We'll fix it. So, so, you know, Ikea principle, yeah, bite-sized pieces, step at a time, but then also acknowledging Failure is a real possibility and it's okay. When it happens, here's who to call. Yeah. So um what what the I guess the you know the title for our conversation is that there are six tips for leading change and the end is the beginning. So as we wrap up here, um what I'd like our listeners to have is first of all a framework where they can take a look at this for themselves and then make their decision as to is this relevant to me? How is this relevant to me? How can I implement this? And where can I and where can I go to reach Jeff Skipper if I need help with this? So what are these six tips? And you also mentioned that the end is the beginning. Now I've heard that paraphrase before. So if you could bring those two things sorted together for us so that we have a good jumping off point where our listeners can go go out there and uh and give it the old college try. Yeah, of course. So let me start with a, a bit of a framework. It's not going to have six steps in it, but I want to give you something really simple, but it's highly effective. Yeah, less steps is good. I'll take less. Okay, excellent. Um, so when I'm asking someone else to do anything, so again, customer, employee, investor, um, I like to assess the likelihood that I'll get them to do it along two dimensions. One is desirability. Can I paint the picture of what I want them to do in such a way that I'll make it highly desirable to them? And of course, the more desirable, the better. And the more I know about them, the easier it is for me to do that. The second dimension is difficulty. For 
what I want them to do, how difficult will it be for them? Are there so many barriers? Will they see so many obstacles to success that they're going to want to give up before they begin? And knowing that, can I mitigate them or downplay them or remove them in such a way that they then can see the potential of success? So I apply this in every change that I'm leading is I look at my audience, I look at my stakeholders and determine from their perspective, how desirable is this change and how difficult is it? And depending on those answers, I want to really focus on the groups that see it as undesirable and difficult. They're going to need the most help and the most support. So that's a little tool that I use um, uh, when working with my clients to help them determine where they might see challenges and getting people to do something differently. And then you asked about the phrase, um, you know, effectively the end is the beginning. And that's standard for many business practices. We want to start with the end in mind. We want to begin with the outcomes that we're looking to achieve. If I want to embark on a significant change, if I want to see people lining up behind me and moving in a, in a new direction or embracing something, I have to be very clear about what that end goal is. So that with, when any of those individuals ask me, what is it exactly you want me to do? What is your hope for the future that I can articulate that very clearly? Until I'm focused on that goal with clarity, I'm not going to have a hope of getting other people to sign on because people are looking for something meaningful. I don't just want to follow you just because you're the leader. You might be about to roll off a cliff. Instead, yeah. I, want to, I want to know what that future looks like, and then we can start moving towards it. Finally, you asked, good, good. Finally, you asked where to find more info. Um, jeffskipperconsulting.com. And on there, if you poke around, I've got a section uh, called resources, but there's a, a bunch of downloads on there. If you want some of these freebies, uh, also I, I've got in there this, this little matrix I do of difficulty versus desirability. You're more than welcome to it. Lots of people go in there and just harvest the freebies. That's That's no problem at all, but lots of goodies. Yeah, well, I was about to extend an invitation for folks to go to uh, www.jeffskipperconsulting.com. And one of the things that I want to highlight about that site is the opportunity to get your book, which is called Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change Through Global Transformation. You can get it on Amazon, either Canada or the United States. Uh, there's a course associated with it. So there are different ways that you can consume that. And for whatever in our conversation today has been of interest to you, Please consider that. Go to www.jeffskipperconsulting.com and take him up on his resources. Get that book. Read that book. It's definitely worth your time wherever this finds yourself. Because remember, everybody's in change management, whether you realize it or not. And the sooner you embrace it, the faster things will likely move for you, at least heading in the right direction, where it can possibly change your trajectory or at least move you a little bit closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So www.jeffskipperconsulting.com. And speaking of the man himself, Jeff Skipper, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Awesome. You're welcome, Adam. Pleasure to be here. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>